This is No Halos Here, hosted by Jen Lang and Jane Stark, the place to inspire a change in your consciousness to elevate the world. We're two heart-centered business owners nourishing our inner rebels while growing our respective businesses. No Halos Here is the result of bringing together an opera singer turned spiritual mentor and a marketing professional turned well-being coach to meditate daily. Together, we unite physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energies into a powerful presence to lead, heal, and inspire. We love exploring the shadowed edges of life, the universe, and beyond through honest and thought-provoking conversations. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of No Halos Here with Jen Lang and Jane Stark. And today we have our first guest ever. All right. So exciting. So I would like to introduce to all of our listeners, our good friend, Emily Tussaud, who is a registered psychotherapist working with individuals and people in relationships, navigating all the life stuff. She loves working with people to transform their lives through managing anxiety and depression, life transitions, trauma, and recovering a sense of self. When she's not helping people to find their preferred ways of being, Emily loves knitting, canoeing, being in nature, going for walks, and spending time with family and friends. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Hi, Emily. Hi. Thank you for for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. So So last week, go ahead. To preface this, last week we dove a bit into the similarities and differences between coaching and counseling, just Jen and I talking about from our perspective and our experience. And we shared our views on what coaching is to us, how we operate as coaches, and how counseling and coaching has impacted our lives personally. But as we kind of got through that conversation, we thought this would be a great opportunity to start bringing some guests on and to explore this topic in a bit of a deeper way. And Jen and Emily know each other outside of outside of this podcast. I'm not sure what I was going to say there. <laughs> so seemed like a great fit, Emily, uh, to have you on. So we're really excited just to explore the counseling side of things and kind of, I guess, further or deepen this conversation. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Right. So uh, what, what question do you want to start with, Jane? All right. What do we want to start with? Emily, I'd love, let's start at the beginning. What, what brought you sure. to counseling? So it was kind of a twisty road for me, but the initial thing that cued me into the idea that I could actually be a counselor or a therapist for a career was my very first personal experience with therapy. And I was going through a big life transition and I went to my first session and came out feeling amazing. And I thought, wow, this is a job (laughs) and that's maybe a job I'm interested in. And then through studies, different studies and different workplaces, I sort of realized that I love building relationships with people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that kind of sent me in the direction of um, studying therapy. Awesome. And And can I ask a question? I've always Mm -hmm. wondered this. So you're a psychotherapist, registered psychotherapist. What does that mean? Is it the same as a counselor? Is it and I know it's a little bit it's, different than a psychologist. So what is yeah, that? It's such a good question. Um, so I'm from Ontario and there's a college that regulates psychotherapy now in Ontario. Okay. Um, so in Ontario, I'm considered a psychotherapist. If I were to be seeing people here in BC, I think I would have to register as a clinical counselor. I could be wrong oh, about that. Okay. So I think there's a lot of overlap, but people say therapist or counselor um, kind of okay. interchangeably. Awesome. Yeah, I've always I been think. curious about that. Yeah, yeah I've me heard too. that term. 
Yeah, I'm I'm honestly fuzzy on it, and I work in the field, so <laughs> it's confusing. <laughs> and I guess every every province has its own, and even states will have their own regulations around these yeah. fields. So okay, yeah, exactly. And some provinces don't have regulations. Oh, so okay. it's sort of an emergent regulatory field, I think. Um, okay. So maybe half the provinces do have regulatory bodies that govern psychotherapy or counseling, and others don't. Okay. Yeah, well, I know it's it's definitely coming for counseling. I mean, for for coaching, the regulations mm. are coming, but it's mm-hmm. I think we're a ways so, away. Yeah, it's coaching is definitely still a fairly feels like a fairly unregulated yeah. space at the moment. By comparison, which is probably something we'll dive into in this conversation a little bit further, and something Jen and I had touched on as well. It it makes it makes it interesting, <laughs> among other things. Mm-hmm. So. So, so counseling your own personal experience, all of a sudden you're woken up to, Hey, this is actually a profession. I might want to do this. Mm-hmm. What's your area of focus? Um, so my study was in relational psychotherapy. So working with individuals or people in relationships or families, um, but within the context of significant relationships in their lives. So that could be relationship to self or relationship to the places that they live or the structures that they operate in or their loved ones or friends. Um, so that's my focus, I guess, in general, like looking at the person within sort of the structures that support them or don't support them. Um, and then a range of issues, just kind of what Jen said in the intro, life stuff, like anxiety, depression, grief and loss, um, trauma. trauma, sexuality, sex therapy, um, transitions. Yeah, just... A, a big range of of issues, right? That we all experience yeah. at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that in the coaching field, yes, we're told to niche, quote unquote, and find your specialization. But if you're a counselor therapist, you can focus on a large, wide range of area, right? right like what Emily just described. But in the coaching industry, you would never... I personally would never expect my clients to support my clients with the whole range of what Emily just named off, Mm -hmm. you know, sexuality, sexual therapy, all these different areas. And in coaching, I think we're, we're encouraged to niche further down. So you're like, Oh, someone's a business coach. What kind of business coaching? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking to in this, in this series about sort of the intersection between coaching, coaching, counseling and healing. Mm -hmm. So when you apply the lab- the quote unquote label of healing on it, how does that change the niche or the focus? It's a good question. How does that change the? Because counseling is a form of healing, but not all so, coaching. Okay, I is think healing. I, ha- I had a similar question coming up, come up, but I think similar but different. I was thinking too in terms of healing, the type of healing we're talking. Because yeah, you f- I think of healing and I think of counseling as healing. Then Jen and I, sorry, Jen, you and I, the type of healing that we sort of support people with and and do is different, Mm -hmm. I would say, than counseling. Is that accurate? What do you, because we're talking. I think, no, I'm thinking that the, usually when I think of people who first encounter me or even you, Jane, like a lot of your clients first come to you because they're looking to lose weight. Mm-hmm. and or some sort of health or yeah. some sort of health related issue that has to do with 
sometimes to do with food, but not always, or has a health issue. Mm-hmm. And the way I talk about the work that I do now is usually most people come to me because they want to improve how they use their voice. They want to improve how they show up in the world vocally. They want to feel more confident in using their voice. But that's not the whole equation. That's kind of like the surface layer. And then what's really underneath is these are these vast areas of healing that sometimes it's a traumatic childhood with a narcissistic parent that brought this person to this point where they want to use their voice more confidently that's an interesting distinction sorry that you just made there i i wonder too in terms of why people seek a coach versus a counselor because you're right i think we often think to look for a coach because there's some area of our life that we want to improve or we're looking for something you know moving forward right like like jen used as the example i've had i certified as a health coach i'd say i've morphed and moved more into probably life (laughs) at the moment which circling back here for a quick second, Jen, to your comment that started this all off, mm-hmm. what Emily talked about was a lot of life stuff, right? Yeah. Whereas, and you're right, life coaches, I feel like almost life coach was like a thing of five plus years ago. And yeah. now everybody's mm-hmm. niched into a certain area. But what I was going to say was that for coaching, it's, yeah, people come to us because they're like, I want to improve you know, I want to work on my voice or my comp, my speaking, my confidence in my speaking. I want to lose weight or I want to feel better and lighter in my body. Or, you know, I have another client who came to me because she was, um, unhappy in her work situation. And she was mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, I think I want to, you know, I want to move up the ladder and I'm not going to be able to do it at this company. But so that's where they start with coaching. But as what Jen was saying, typically, as soon as we get into it and start looking at the layers, it's actually healing work that we do to help them move forward. Whereas now, Emily, I'd love you to jump in here with counseling. It seems a bit more like people would seek out a counselor because they're really hurting or like something is, you know, whether it's a marriage gone sideways or, you know, the relationship with a parent is not healthy or things like that. So it, the entry point, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the distinction that makes sense to me. I was thinking about this earlier, about why people come to see a therapist or a counselor. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's maybe that knowing or that realization that there is some sort of hurt or pain, or something that I want to heal or to feel differently about. And whereas maybe, I don't know a ton about coaching, but maybe that's what's discovered along the way. Yeah, it's like a different entry point Mm -hmm. to similar work similar places, I imagine, within the body or the person's experience or their past. But when I have people reach out, it's, you know, I've been really struggling with anxiety lately or this stuff from my childhood keeps coming up and I want to have a different relationship with it. Um, And less about this really sort of specific, I don't know if it's so specific, but it sounds to be like a more specific goal, like Um, Yeah. It's more goal oriented, right? Like this is, mm -hmm. I want to change. I mean, there is like, I want to change something. Like you say, I, I, you know, I want to, I want to heal this part of myself, but the coaching entry point is a little more change, like forward goal setting. Yeah. A little more specific maybe. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's really interesting because then that before we started recording, we were talking about the duration 
of time that we work with clients and that in the coaching industry, we're taught and encouraged to take clients through a process. So whether it's three months, six months, 12 months, sometimes more, Mm -hmm. uh, or sometimes less, but in counseling, the way I understand it is you call up, you have an appointment one day, and then you might book the following week or you might not. And that it's very much like in the moment support rather than three months of support with a specific end goal in mind. Yeah, I think so. I'm, And I think I'm, my guess is that different counselors and therapists might work differently. I'm less goal oriented. I just, my brain doesn't work so well that way. You know, we can move in a direction, but I don't necessarily have a plan for treatment. Like I'm using air quotes because I don't even use those terms. They feel kind of foreign mm-hmm. to me. Um, so it's my whole approach is just to meet people where they are. So what's coming up that day or that week, and maybe there is continuity based on what we did the last time. And maybe sometimes there isn't. So it's really, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to ask with your clients, is it, do you find that you work with clients for a long period of time or is it more, they just kind of come when they need, like, is it, does it feel more like one-off sessions or yeah, I'd be curious how for me, for me, it's more longer term. Um, and that can range from anywhere from like, I don't know, five or six sessions to years long, mm-hmm. um, relationships like therapeutic relationships. Um, I have done a little bit of single session work in the past and there are therapists who are absolutely amazing at that stuff. And that would be, you know, working with someone who, has a lot of anxiety maybe around exams for example Mm. and they come in and they're like I really need some strategies around this one thing and so you work on that one thing you give some strategies and then they can continue if they want to or maybe they don't need to um but I think just because of my personality I'm more of like the long-term relationship burn type of person (laughs) which I will say doesn't work for everybody you know some people are a lot more they want to be more goal focused and that's great. Um, so I, you know, I'm always happy to refer people to like someone who suits their needs more. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So there's no right or wrong way of approaching oh. this work. I think that mm-hmm. you find the person or practitioner with whom you are most aligned. And as Jane, you and I have talked about, sometimes we work with clients who've had that container of counseling for five or eight years or, or more or less. And then they, they all of a sudden get to a place when they get into a coaching relationship where they can make different strides faster, probably because they had that counseling mm-hmm. therapy support in advance of the coaching relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's been my experience with clients. Definitely. A lot of my clients have, have had time working with therapists in their past as well. And, you know, when they I've had a couple of clients say to me like, wow, I've been in therapy for years and years and years. And I feel like working with you, I'm moving like things are just changing rapidly. And it actually threw me off in the beginning because I was like, well, wait a minute. And what I've kind of come to to realize or to think about that is that it's not that one methodology is better than another and coaching is superior to counseling or anything like that. But I actually look at it and go all of like, those years of counseling brought you to a place where, like Jen just said, we're able to make kind of more quantum leaps hmm. with the coaching because it's a, and again, it's a different, it's a bit more goal oriented. It's a bit, it's looking at certain things. And so 
you know, this idea that it's quite complementary. And I mean, I know a number of um, people and I myself, I don't work with a therapist right now, but I've worked with many therapists over the past number of years. And I know other people who are coaches that also have therapists and are like, swear, you know, swear by it. And it's not either or, or, or anything like that. So, and that's kind of what I think the purpose of Jen and I diving into this as well is just to kind of just open up this discussion because I do hear a bit of, you know, people as coaching grows as an industry and even the healing arts becoming Mm -hmm. more um, mainstream, more popular. Thank you. Mainstream, you know, looking and going, okay, we have more options because really, you know, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, counseling was even 10 years ago for me, counseling was the thing it was like okay I'm unhappy or something's not working in my life I go and seek a counselor Mm -hmm. now like then I found coaching and 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 but like I say it doesn't mean that I would not go back to counseling for certain things that come up or with my family so it's 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 really interesting. interesting to yeah go ahead yeah I was gonna say it's completely interesting to see where this is gonna go over the next five to ten years especially where you know, we've talked about, we've come from this highly regulated society in many ways. And with recent change, recent changes and shifts that are going on, are we going to continue to hang on to this highly regulated format? Or are we going to allow the flexibility for people to find what they need, when and how they need it, instead of an over-regulated industry? And the one that sort of comes to mind in Canada is... Uh, comparing it to the UK is homeopathy Mm. In Canada homeopathics are highly suspect and are not very, um, I don't know, widely received except in certain circles. And I believe it's health Canada has basically cracked down on the homeopathic industry in certain ways. I, I'm pretty sure I, I can't quote me on that though. Whereas in the UK and other parts of the world, um, homeopathics are, just part of a natural prescriptive treatment depending on your practitioner and they're not as regulated as they are in other countries now that would be a whole other episode to do that research Mm -hmm. and find out is it pressure and lobbying from other industries that is causing that um, clampdown on Mm -hmm. quote-unquote alternative remedies because ultimately up until what 150 years ago all our medicine was plant-based medicine Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's that's definitely another. Big so that's another podcast episode, <laughs> but it's a big one. But it doesn't necessarily cover all of this here. But it's it's a question around the regulation part, and also, I think the safety of the individual client. Is it important to them that they seek someone who's quote unquote has a quote unquote professional designation, versus because there's plenty of people with professional designations who are corrupt or giving wrong advice sometimes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and at the same time or is it better for them to find it's more important for them to find the person with whom they feel the most affinity and they're most comfortable with where they can actually get the outcome that they desire right that's an important question but you can't necessarily have that if your industries are so overregulated. yeah yeah that's a fair point right it's yeah like what's covered under people's medical plans Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah, that's a whole nother, a and whole nother really, thing as well. And really, we are talking about, we are talking about industries that are available to, I'm not going to say the elite, but to 
people who have resources at their availability to dive into this work. But there are plenty of people who do not have access to this at all. And men, minorities and indigenous and mm-hmm. people of color, people who come from backgrounds of poverty or there's language barriers, they don't have access to this, any of this support. Not in the same ways. Not yeah. in the same way that people of privilege do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, again, I think that's another podcast topic, but at the same time, it's worth touching on because what we're talking about here is something available basically to people who have a basic median income and mm. who either have health plans or who are self-aware enough to recognize that they need the support and help and they have the resources to access it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, next question. Um, how do you, Emily, mm-hmm. how do you think the differences between the coaching and the counseling industry change things for their for the client because we've had lots of like dog walk conversations about this yeah but not necessarily you know we haven't really dove into it yeah well i guess i don't know if this answers the question but i sort of think about um what my and what other therapist and counselors training is in and what it's not in Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so things like energy work I'm not Mm -hmm. I'm not trained in and would not feel comfortable doing so that's where you know Jen and I have talked about um, that kind of stuff and the potential there Um, that's a really hard question (laughs) <laughs> Will you ask yeah, me again? Stumped. We stumped her. Uh, yeah, yeah we did. did. That's okay. It's like okay. the differences between the two industries and how that impacts people that we work with. The client-provider relationship. Oh, the relationship. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think, I don't know for sure because I don't know a ton about coaching and I also haven't worked with a coach, but we were just chatting before we started recording about boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if... I mean, I'll just kind of speak to psychotherapy in Ontario because that's what I know. If those boundaries are a little more rigid because it's regulated, and if for some people that could be really helpful because they might want to go and be like, I have this space and it's all about me and that's great. And of course, no matter what it is, all about them. Um, But there may be less about the interaction or the relationship between the client and the therapist than there could be with a coach. So I could imagine maybe there's more... And I don't know, you two can answer this. If there's more self-disclosure or more um, personal stuff that's brought to the sessions in a healing way, of course. Um, but if just if that relationship is a little more fluid and back and forth, that, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, from my experience, and again, I think it, it obviously would be vary from provider to provider, having worked with both coaches and counselors, I definitely feel a stronger boundary with counseling. Now that's not to say in my experience working with my coaches that there isn't boundaries there or any or, or whatnot. Like I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't say that I, you know, got to know my coaches intimately, like as friend, like talking friendship wise or like, you know, but in that sense, like there definitely was boundaries of a client um, professional relationship, but 
I do think it, it was a little bit more in my experience, it's always been a little bit more fluid. The other thing, yeah, just it's, it's, it feels a little bit more fluid in the, in the coaching space than, Mm -hmm. than what I've experienced with counselors where it does feel, I've always kind of just felt nothing they've ever said or done, but just, I've always kind of felt like there's just, you know, it's very, it was, it's pretty rare that maybe there would be sort of, like you say, that giving a little bit of information, personal Mm -hmm. information to build, you know, the relationship, you know, it might happen, but it just doesn't feel as, as open. Mm -hmm. And like you say, I, I guess that would, that would vary from practitioner to practitioner and, and different, different styles and whatnot. And also for the client, like I'm a very relationship based person. So for me, I really appreciate that. Now I don't, like you say, I don't want to sit in a session and spend, um, you know, half the session hearing about my coach or my counselor's <laughs> yeah. life, but there is something about it that just opens that up and makes it feel a little bit more personable. And mm-hmm. for me, that builds a level of trust. Yeah. Uh, I do know that, you know, through my coach training, um, building rapport was a big focus of what we were trained on, right? Like on yeah. how to build rapport with people and how to build that trust, but within, you know, having those boundaries. So it's so interesting. It's that did answer. No, no, it's great. That was, it um, reminded me of some things that, you know, building rapport and the, the importance of the therapeutic relationship was such a big part of my training as well. And there's, um, there's a theory, there's research around the factors of change. Like what are the things that actually support people to change or to heal or grow in the ways that they want to. And the biggest predictor is the relationship between, Mm. you know, the person who's Mm. providing the service and the clients Mm -hmm. or the person. Um, so, you know, we can study all the models in the world and that actually only accounts for, I think it's 10 or 15% of therapeutic outcome. Yeah. Again, I'm using air quotes because these just seem like such clinical terms. Um, (laughs) but Jane, I can relate to that. Like I'm way more relationshipy and, you know, I use therapeutic self-disclosure if, if I think it's going to be helpful. And I wonder if part of the, something with regulation, um, is that I think people might get scared like providers, therapists or counselors. I wonder if they get a little bit scared to share because one of the most basic ethical principles is do no harm. Right. And so there's such a fear of harming people. And, you know, in my own experience, I, vulnerability begets vulnerability, you know, so I'm not going to sit there and pour my heart out necessarily. Um, but I also don't want to be, you know, stone cold or like behind this wall yeah. or inaccessible or not human. I think it's like the humanness is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we were chatting before and I remember someone saying, you know, they have like their home self and their work self. And I thought, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't know that there was a difference, you know? So I, you know, I'm a therapist when I go to work and I'm also myself working as a therapist. So it all gets kind of blended and it all shows up, you know, and whether I share that it shows up or not, that's, you know, I do work around that and work with a supervisor. And mm -hmm. if my own stuff comes up, that's different, but just the, the relationship aspect is so important. Well, it makes me think a little bit of like what I feel like we're moving out of a little bit more now, this idea of like 
your home self and your work self, not just within therapy, but I think within yeah the world. And look at we, all the people for a while. Good yeah, point. that would really, that would really blow that up, right? Yep. <laughs> I don't know who I am today. Exactly. But I, <laughs> do I wear the Superman shirt or do I? <laughs> right? Or do I, I wear even, my gray hoodie? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about it in that context when I was forming this thought. But, you know, I feel like there was a time when it's like, oh, you need to leave, you know, like, leave all your stuff at home when you go into that office and you show up as work and compartmentalizing. Mm -hmm. And I've never compartmentalized very well. <laughs> when I compartmentalize myself, I, it's, it ends up being, I bottle stuff up and then I blow up. Um, so, you know, that's something, but I, I wonder, is that a shift we're starting to see where, because we're hearing, I mean, it's such a buzzword now, but like authenticity, right? Like mm -hmm. we're wanting, we're craving to get to know people like the real person. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if this is a part and parcel of that, of like a shift that's moving a little bit to now, I don't think we're saying here like, oh yeah, bring all your marital problems to the <laughs> bring office. Bring your baggage or... to the office. <laughs> right? Oh, just here, hang on. I've got, <laughs> I've got some help here bringing my baggage in. <laughs> But to your point, Emily, like showing our humanness a little bit more, like, mm -hmm. I just, I just personally feel like for so long, it's been so taboo almost to like do that. And now mm -hmm. we're finally starting to see a shift of like, oh yeah, like humanness. Let's yeah. See. I think that's also a holdover from, honestly, from our origins in Europe for the most part, if you're mm. white Western growing up in North America, colonist descent person, you have grown up like I have English and basically North American heritage. And there is that English sort of stiff upper lip, you know, carry mm -hmm. on type of attitude where no matter what's going on in your personal world, you show up um, and you don't let any, don't let your humanness show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's really, I mean, we're seeing that collapse, I think, for the better. Mm -hmm. But it does come from this Victorian background paradigm where, you know, the children are seen and not heard. Um, children are raised by governess in privileged societies. And you, unless you were very poor and you worked, you know, you did manual labor, you worked in the fields, you were that sort of society, the one, the society and the people who immigrated to North America primarily came, you know, they usually either it was desperation or they had money to pay for their holiday or their trip to start a new life. And so they brought those values and ideals where everything was compartmentalized. And, you know, for better or for worse, we are here today sort of dismantling that compartmentalization and allowing the humanity to show up and allowing our compassion and vulnerability. I mean, look at all the work that Brene Brown has done on vulnerability. Oh, she's exactly mm -hmm. when we were just started this, I was like, yeah, this is Brene Brown, right? And this is, okay. you know, these are the pieces that we need to carry together more forward as a society and as a human collective. And we can, you know, we can cry for people who are in pain and have mm -hmm. it not be weird or frowned upon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about that in terms of bringing your humanness to whatever work you do. Like, there's a whole spectrum of what that can look like. And it can look like 
tearing up with someone when they're going through something really difficult because it touches a place in you and yeah that's real and okay and important that's a good that's a good example so um, this brings me to my next question then do you think it's different than when you have a male therapist versus a female therapist and this if we dive into this gender difference around whose emotions are acceptable in a therapeutic setting and mm-hmm. whose are not. And if Whoa. I'd have to say that, <laughs> I know a it's a big question. It, I just, it just sort of came in. It's like, okay, I have to say that unless I had a very strong relationship with a male therapist, counselor, or coach, I personally would be a little weirded out if they randomly started crying <laughs> but then I would want to know. I'd be, I would, I would like that would be my part to reach out and be like, "What's going on for you today? Do you need to reschedule?" Because I, you know, I've been in that position. But when is it appropriate? You know, it's a pro- it's fine and acceptable for a woman to show their emotional empathy in a clinical situation. But it's less. I think it's less okay for men. Or do we still have to collapse that boundary a little bit? to allow men to express their more caring and nurturing sides, whether in a therapeutic setting or not. Yeah, it's interesting. I do think it's an industry that's dominated by women or cis women. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking of a few of the cis men I know who are um, these beautiful examples of vulnerable, real men and how I'm often referring people to work with them mm. to serve as an example of what, um, again, using quotes, like what a man can be. And mm. I say that in terms of deconstructing toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and showing that, of course, no matter what your gender is, it's okay to cry. Right. It's okay to, to show emotion and to be authentic and to be vulnerable. Um, and again, there are like, societal discourses or cultural discourses that influence me to say that. And I know that maybe in some cultures, that's not okay. Um, yeah, but I, I think that's slowly changing. I hope it's slowly mm-hmm. changing. I think so. Yeah. I think the fact that we're even having this conversation shows that it's changing. Mm-hmm. I don't think we would have had the same conversation 15 years ago. No, even don't think so. No, it's quite different. There was something Emily said earlier that I just wanted to circle back. I had a question mm. on, you were mentioning, uh, I can't remember exactly the context, but you're mentioning something like energy healing and that mm. that's not an area that you're trained in. I'm curious to know how you, or if you can sort of speak for your profession, view healing, like energetic healing and, and things like that. And is that something that comes into not your practice obviously like you said not that you would deliver it but something where you would look and say this might be in you know something to explore or just curious if it's Mm -hmm. because I still feel like again it's one of those things where 10-15 years ago not really you know a thing but it's becoming more mainstream it is becoming um you know we are starting to see that intersection so curious Mm -hmm. what your thoughts are on that Yeah, it's a great question. I don't really know what the profession says about it, but I guess my personal experience has been, I have found that a lot of therapy can be sort of from the neck up, Mm -hmm. sort of cerebral and talk heavy. And so some of the training I'm doing right now involves more somatic based 
um, yeah, approaches, you know, mm-hmm. getting into the body and helping to regulate the nervous system. Um, also mindfulness based approaches are like, a, I know a lot of folks who practice that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of referring people, like if someone were to say to me, you know, something like a space that I work in is the energy space, or that's really important to me, then, you know, I, again, I kind of go back to my, um, my mantra of meeting people where they are. So respecting what they want and what works best for their bodies and what works best for their minds and their hearts. And um, so if that is something that I don't know a lot about, but they would find helpful, you know, Reiki or I don't know, any other, what might be termed an alternative approach. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, that I'm more than happy to explore that with them, obviously not offer the service, but like refer out, refer out. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. It's definitely an area in my experience that I love what you said. And I, I really agreed about the whole from the head, the neck up or the head Mm -hmm. up and, you know, talk therapy has its place, but I, again, I can only speak from my own personal journey, but my journey has really been about getting into my body and that's Mm -hmm. where the healing has taken place. And so well, yes, I can sit and talk in a therapist's office. It wasn't until I, I started for me, I started combining it with body work. Yeah. And then I started finding practitioners who combined it. Um, and that's when things really accelerated for mm-hmm. me. So I'd love to hear more about your exploration into somatic therapy. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a, it's a three-year training process in somatic experiencing and so there's a really, um, actually, this is a different, different author. Anyways, there's a great book called um, "The Body Keeps the Score." Mm, yeah, um, I can't remember if they talk about somatic experiencing that or not, but they talk about this type of approach where trauma lives in the nervous system, yeah. mm-hmm. and so it's about getting into the body, going really nice and slowly to help the nervous system learn how to regulate again. You know, because it can get hijacked, it can get stuck on and. Mm-hmm. hyper arousal I always get those mixed up anyways yep <laughs> or stuck off in hypo arousal mm-hmm. um so I'm loving I'm loving that approach it's more I think it can complement talk therapy really nicely where we might be working with a certain part of a person you know the part of them that lives with a lot of anxiety and then we get to know the stories that that part has and what memories and experiences it's hanging on to and then maybe we can do some somatic work with that part where it is more in the body and less, less from, yeah. you know, the neck up. That's so interesting. And Jen, you work a lot with people and in the body. Yeah. yeah. How do you, what's your take on it? So I agree with the two of you that a lot of, obviously a lot of counseling and therapy work is often from the neck up. I've done a little bit of counseling, not a lot. And it was helpful at the time to work through what it was at the time, the very sort of cerebral issue, cerebral mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but I do, I believe that, you know, the body is like the, the holder of all of our experiences in some form or another. So even like today I went for a massage and I asked the therapist, massage therapist, she, to work very specifically on this place where I had a motorcycle accident 21 years ago and I still have some bruised scar tissue. And so basically I asked her to work in that spot because it was still, there's still stuff hanging on. And then I came home and did some journaling 
around what I thought, because I couldn't even remember the emotions that I felt at that time in that accident. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, don't remember being afraid, but I do remember being like curious about the sorts of things that like it was in a foreign country. So how am I going to deal with this? And what, mm. you know, I was, I was a passenger on my friend's motorbike. So I had to, I had 13 x-rays. I had to pay cash for them because it's 21 years ago. Wow. And like, there were no <laughs> cell phones, you know, it was a very interesting process. And what came out of the journaling for me, because so she released the bodywork stuff. And I was like, okay, well, let's look at the emotions that I was feeling. I was like, okay, I was feeling a little bit of fear of the unknown, but I knew I was taken care of because I was with friends and I was in a hospital, but then also a little bit of uncertainty. All right. So that's maybe some underlying anxiety. So it's like, okay, well then I had a conversation with my body around that accident. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, I had this accident, but well before I'd started any of this body work training. And so basically in my journal, I had a conversation saying, okay, body, I'm sorry. I ignored you. Cause literally a week later I was carrying a backpack through Hmm. Europe to get to England. Like it was, I was very disrespectful of my body and its healing process out of that. So it through that conversation in my journal, that's how I, that's how I rediscovered those emotions and said, okay, this massage today was supposed to help clear some of those spaces because it still is tight. And my, that right hip is still more tight. So when I work with clients, it's a similar thing. I actually start with the body and I start with the most basic thing, breathing, Mm, so identifying the anatomy and how are you breathing and i can look at someone breathing and say i can feel where they're tight and see but i can also feel where they're tight when they breathe so then i know how far to go on certain other things and then we always come back to breathing and how are you breathing jaw facial massage so physiology is always a big part of it even no, no matter what we do i always use a physical gesture to support the words and the energy work and the release that's happening mm-hmm. and sometimes it's heart opening arms out mm-hmm. and sometimes it's arms above your head because you need to feel taller and more spacious right so it's it's very i mean i got to a stage now where i just work intuitively but i always start with that physical space mm-hmm Yeah. I mean, definitely similar in my practice too, with clients. It's very much, I won't, I don't necessarily always start with the body, but we always go there. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. I find, you know, when we're talking through something, especially when, if they're having trouble putting words to it, or they're just not, you know, something's not coming clear right away. I'm like, okay, we're just going to drop into your body. And your body's going to tell us and guiding people into, you know, where are you feeling that in your body? What does it feel like using visualization and the power to be able to release stuff from the body like that is, yeah. it, it fascinates me every time. Um, totally. But, you know, uh, yeah. The book you, the, when the, uh, the body keeps score also, um, one of my favorites was Gabor Matei's, um, when the body says, when no, the body says no. Yeah, those that are, those are really, books. yeah, those were books that I read early on in my healing journey and really shifted things for me. So I love, I mean, it personally excites me to start to see this intersection of mm-hmm. healing work, mm-hmm. you know, therapy, coaching, and all of these different facets starting to be able to work together and to realize that, that there is no, 
I mean, we always know this, right? There's no one size fits all yeah. for any of it. So to start to see more options. There's, there's a really beautiful analogy that I learned and it asks the question, who grows the flower or who grows the tree? Mm. And so we imagine a seed, you know, in a garden and it gets water and there's sunlight. And we think, well, the garden does or the gardener does, but it's actually the seed who does. The seed grows the flower. Mm-hmm. And so all of these different approaches or um, professions can be support for this seed yeah. to grow. Like that's where the healing happens, I think. Oh, beautiful. That's the, yeah, the, you know, that's where the evolution or the change or the growth happens. And so yeah. maybe I'm the soil and maybe someone's the gardener, maybe someone's the sunlight and someone's mm. the rain and... And there's fertilizer. Exactly. And there's the bees. Yeah, and... right? You can, you can take it forever, but it's the seed, like it's the person that actually does the changing, then I see us as supporting that. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. Great. I love that analogy. Yeah, it's, I don't know where I learned it, but it always stuck with me. That might, yeah, that might be a good place to leave it. I think I that's a good like place to leave it. We do have some other questions, but that just feels like a beautiful way to round out this fun and fabulous conversation. Yeah, I think it just kind of gives, my hope is that for the listener, it kind of, it gives some insight too into counseling, coaching, touched a little bit on the healing piece. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think sometimes people don't really know where to Mm -hmm. look or where to turn, right? And just sort of helping break some of that down a little bit and, and see what might work when or the mixture. Try some things out. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's if you want to have a counselor and a coach at the same time, and that works for you, do it. Mm -hmm. And ideally, they're not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. And the, you know, they're as always, when you're in need of help or support, there's always someone out there for you. Mm -hmm. And specifically, and divinely destined to work with you. So yeah, maybe on that note, we'll wrap it up and say, we'd love to hear from you uh, about your experiences with counseling, therapy, coaching, any of those fields, healing, and Mm. what your experience was like. And uh, we'd like to continue the conversation. And I'd like to say a big thank you for Emily to be our guest today. Yeah, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's great to hear your perspective. Thanks. Beautiful. So we'll wrap it up there. Have an amazing rest of your day and uh, stay awesome, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us for these conscious combos. If you're ready to dive deeper, head on over to wearejenandjane.com to continue the conversation. If you loved this episode, please take a moment to share it with your friends or your network and leave us a review by going to Apple Podcasts. Find us on Instagram at wearejenandjane and let us know what you enjoy and what you would like to see more of. We'd love to hear from you.